Welcome to Every Step Podcast. I'm Christina Weston. And I'm Judith Beck. Every Step is the podcast where career and life meet. With a new guest every episode, we explore the gutsy issues affecting everyone in the workplace. Today, we are joined by Nick Abrahams to discuss the impact of AI on the future of careers. Nick is a LinkedIn top voice in technology and has been a partner at international law firm Norton Rose Fulbright for over 20 years. Nick co-created the world's first AI-enabled sorry, privacy chat box and won the Financial Times Newspapers Asia Innovator of the Year Award. He is the host of the popular podcast, Web3 Goes Mainstream, and the author of the Amazon best-selling book, Big Data, Big Responsibilities, and Digital Disruption in Australia. I could go on, but we only have an hour, Nick. So, <laughs> And we haven't I, even talked about your film and television capability. Uh, <laughs> anyway. I, I think it's best that we, we call it quits there and uh, <laughs> before we lose everyone from the podcast. <laughs> So welcome, Nick, and thanks so much for joining us. Uh, what what I'd like to just kick it off with and with the question, is AI going to disrupt career paths and as we know them? And if so, how? Yeah, I think uh, traditional careers have been under disruption for, for quite a while now. You know, I think what, what we're doing these days, whether it's as lawyers or, or accountants or indeed, you know, people working in retail, etc. Those roles have changed quite significantly as a result of technology and automation. And we should certainly expect to see things increase in terms of that level of disruption. But, you know, there's a there's sort of a catastrophe uh, scenario that people talk about, which is, you know, AI will, will massively uh, reduce opportunities for people. And I'm not I'm not a big proponent of that. I think that certainly it will impact careers, but as we've seen with technology and automation, it creates further opportunities for people. You know, you looked at the way ATMs impacted uh, the banking and financial services sector. We had more people employed in banking as a result of technology. Similarly with accountants, we had cloud accounting with zero and so forth. Uh, that didn't mean that accountants sort of are out of work. It just meant that they leveled up the sort of solutions that they are able to provide to their clients. So I am hopeful that uh, provided people are conscious of the technology and the opportunities created by the technology, uh, that we will be able to uh, get through uh, the next uh, few years uh, without massive dislocation of the workforce. It's such a massive change in my view, sort of, it's kind of like one of these things that we, we're seeing it everywhere, but it's unlike the ATM machine, which um, it, um, I remember when I, when I was in banking years ago and my friend was telling the story about they were in this in the boardroom and they said, we've got this new thing called the ATM and people will be able to get their money out. And him saying, oh, it will never work. It will absolutely <laughs> it will well, It's a bit like we will never do online banking. Remember that? Oh, my I God. Will never do online do. banking. Absolutely. And, but this just seems this just seems different in a way of that. It's just 
so everywhere. It's like everywhere. And they're talking about, you know, the deep fakes and all the different yeah. things and all the different, it's a hard thing to wrap your, your head around. Um, from a career point of view, I mean, what are, what are people, what should people first, what should they do first? Like, what should they think about if they're going to immerse themselves into it? What, what should they learn? Like, what, what are some yeah. of the things that they should learn first? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the way I look at it, I think that there's still, you know, many of the careers that we have right at the moment will continue on. They'll just be enhanced by AI. But if we look at the core opportunities, obviously, there's, you know, people who work in AI and machine learning, that's a great business to be in data science and analytics, you know, there's there's vast amounts of data, AI requires vast amounts of data, a lot of aspects to that. And then, you know, let's look at sort of, you know, other areas. So renewable energy and sustainability, now that is a massive opportunity uh, for people into the future, as well as I think health and biotechnology, particularly, you know, I'm, I'm on the board of the, of the Garvin, and, um, and so that's a big uh, genomics research uh, institute. And, you know, the things that are happening with health uh, through genetics and personalised medicine, bioengineering and so forth, enormous area. And then, you know, bring it all together, I think you've got the opportunity with, you know, human and AI collaboration. Because I think people assume that um, AI is going to take your job. So I don't think that's right. I think, you know, someone using AI may well take your job, but there is this linkage, which is the human AI collaboration and a lot of opportunities, I think, there. Yeah, I love I love that reframing of AI and human collaboration because Judith and I were having a, a healthy debate before, <laughs> we came, became, before we came online. And it was this whole conversation around if you use AI, you're cheating. And I'm saying, but I use and the, the most commonly known form of AI that's kind of become embedded in, in a lot of our lives and we know of quite well now is chat GPT. It's yeah. taken the world by storm. Mm-hmm. And I use it every day to improve what I'm already doing. So I don't see it as cheating. I see it. I love that term. It's a, it's a human AI collaboration because I'm using it to improve what I've already done and make it more personable or write it more effectively or efficiently or add more flavor to it or whatever. But it's interesting, there is this um, AI has in certain areas has polarized people. They've kind of gone, well, if you're using it, you're cheating. Mm, I I think there's certain levels of that though. Cause I mean, from my point of view of going, you know, the cheating side comes whether or not someone is claiming that that is their, um, like a book, let's say they they, and they want to write a book and they go to chat GPT and they go write a book about um, uh, roses. (laughs) It comes out, it gives you, you know, 150 pages on it and then you put your name on it and publish it. That's where I kind of wonder if things, if it can go that far in the future. And then if it can, does that limit creativity or people thinking about everything to do with roses? Um, themselves or going on to chat GPT and then where does that stop does that start at school when you ask kids to do an essay and they go well I'll use these tools I won't actually think about it myself I'll, I'll use is it these dumbing tools. us down hmm. is it dumbing us down because um, you know I remember when the calculators 
because I'm that old. When the calculators first came out, we had like all the different ones and you'd give them to your kids. And all of a sudden they didn't add and subtract. I mean, if you go into the grocery stores today, kids can't, they, they won't count the money back. They don't know how to count the money back to, to you. Not that they need to anymore because it's a cashless society. <laughs> but at the end of the day, it, the analogy is, are we losing, are we going to lose some of those skills um, and where can they use those tools to say, okay, I can, when is it appropriate to use the tool and when is it not appropriate to use the tool? Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, there are they're fundamental questions. Um, you know, I think if we look at the roses, the book on roses example, I think it's going to be very difficult because AI is not infallible. And so, you know, from my experience, it, it would be very difficult to write a, a book on roses and have that be a credible book unless you knew a lot about roses because you have to direct you know the ai so you have to collaborate with it but the calculator proposition is something i've thought a lot about because i i came to this with the thesis that as you have judith which is calculators have have sort of dumbed us down but unfortunately um the research shows quite the opposite so what has happened is and um, if looking at cohorts of students sort of ages 16 or so pre-calculator and sort of now, you know, in modern times with calculators. Uh, so their ability to do sort of, you know, basic arithmetic in their head is not as good. But, you know, the average 16 year old now, because they are enhanced by the calculator, are dealing with mathematical issues that are significantly in advance of what 16 year olds were doing 40 or 50 years ago without a calculator. So in that respect, the calculator has actually leveled us up and yeah, we lost a little bit of skill, but actually the, our ability to engage in more complicated issues has been, you know, has been good. So we look at that and so I'm thinking AI hopefully can be a tool that enhances us, but the, the converse of that is the autopilot. So, so pilots, uh, you know, now have autopilot. And when that first came out, there was a lot of concern around autopilot because there was a, a fear that autopilots were going to replace being a pilot. And so you would reduce the number of pilots around, etc. cetera. And, um, and so would it actually replace them? And, you know, what we've seen is that flying has become much cheaper. So rather than there being fewer opportunities for pilots, there are now, you know, there's now a pilot shortage. So, but, but what we have seen with autopilot is um, the loss of some of the skills of the ability to fly without the system in place. And, you know, we saw Sully land the plane, uh, you know, on the Hudson, fantastic. There are, there's quite a lot of studies done as to whether modern pilots have enough of that capability to actually, what happens if the machine goes down? So they've, they've lost those core skills. So, so we've got two, uh, two ends of a spectrum, I think, which AI could easily fill, um, either one of them, which is it could completely de-skill our kids, you know, you know, in the legal framework, you know, de-skill junior lawyers such that when they get to eight or 10 years out, they don't actually understand why it is that they're coming up with a solution. They're just doing it because the system told them. So it could de-skill, um, 
or we could use it as a force for good to really level up uh, the sorts of things that we do and and the sort of uh, uh, services that we provide, you know, to our customers and clients. It makes sense because when you think about with with lawyers, they spend so much time having to research cases Case and things like that 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 could actually um, improve the time that they have to do that so that they can then focus on a strategy that probably only would require human intervention to be able to do that. So those kind of tools on that are, um, I think, really, really good to be able to do that. But when does it, when, when is human intervention important? Because if I was going to a lawyer, or if I was looking at, um, uh, if I was going on an online system, and I might look up something that I needed help with, and it would give me the answer that I, you know, would give me a pretty good answer. I still don't know that if I would 100% believe it unless I was actually speaking to a lawyer yeah. where, because how do I know that they're right? Like, how do I know that they got the right answer? I know it's, but, you know, mistakes happen. Yeah. And I humans make mistakes too. But I think that trust factor, it's more of a trust factor that you have you know, with your lawyer or even a doctor. I mean, everybody says, you know, um, Dr. Google, but at the end of the day, if your doctor tells you something, it's probably going to be more powerful than if you read it on online. But is so, that just a generational thing? Is that a little bit like the analogy with online banking? Oh, I'm never going to use online banking. And here we are, you know, in 2023 going, oh, I'm never going to use online Dr. Google. I'm never going to use online law advice. I'm yeah. never going to use online financial planning services. Um, and then in 10 years' time, we'll look back and go, how could we have even said that? It probably is generational. It probably is. I mean, let's face it. We came from, um, you know, upbringing where we're dealing with human interaction all the time. But I don't know, Nick, what do you think as far as do you think the, the human aspect of it will will eventually not be required kind of like going to the grocery store where you don't need people to actually bag your groceries anymore you do it yourself yeah this trust piece is actually quite important to this yeah. conversation yeah i think that's right i think it is it's that trust element and i think we're we're all super comfortable with bagging our own groceries um because that's you know that's not a high trust proposition um Whereas I think with any of those high trust solutions that people offer, I think you are always going to uh, require that, you know, there's there's some form of human. And, you know, if I look at, so I have a separate business called LawPath. It's an online legal business. We've just passed 400,000 customers served. And um, so it's very much for small and medium business. And what we found with that was our... Um, our subscription model, there was a DIY, like a basic DIY solution where you could go in 400 documents and some machine learning, a bit of automation and so forth. Um, uh, but that as a subscription model was not particularly successful until we added, oh, in addition, you get unlimited calls with lawyers. Mm -hmm. And that was what really drove the business to, to success. So, I think that there there is now, and I think for a, for a significant period of time to come, we will still want uh, the comfort of knowing that there is a human there until the AI becomes infallible. And right at the moment, it's a long way from that. I mean, I think, you know, and the, 
The problem with all of this stuff is that um, very rarely are things straightforward. Um, you know, whether it's law, whether it's medicine, whether it's accounting, or, you know, whatever it is, it's 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 rare that things are straightforward. So often you need that human. I think there's other great areas too. I mean, you look at any jobs that require some form of emotional support. So anything that requires empathy, counselling, um, that's a great area to be in. Anything where there's complex decision making, so you know something with high stakes or where there's something with ethical considerations, um, anything where there's unpredictable environments, so where you need a real time response, so emergency services and so forth. And then I think you know also this idea of you know where there's cultural and social nuance, so where where you need people that have a degree of understanding of cultures or traditions and so forth, whether that's you know, having a salesperson who understands the way to to sell to a particular, you know, sort of demographic or something like that or a particular uh, culture. I think those sorts of things become very, very important. So it's that that human to human relationship, because I think I think if we look at what's not going to change, I think that a lot of business, a lot of services uh, are, are based on that human to human connection. And I don't think that is necessarily going to change. Yeah, hospitality, you know, there's a number of industries where you're not going to be quickly replaced by any form of automation or, or artificial intelligence. One of the conversations that we've had in some of our other podcasts and Judith and I talk about um, kind of offline is with AI and automation, because a lot of workflow and priority management can happen from a technology perspective, Will managers, as we know them today, be a thing of the past mm. in terms of uh, is there going to be a role shift with from a from a manager perspective or a leadership perspective um, with the continued uptake of of efficiency capabilities mm. and yeah. prioritization workflow capabilities? Yeah, but I think. Absolutely. And, and maybe they're the slightly more mundane aspects of, of management. And I think that, you know, that can be uh, supported to a great deal by AI. But I think, you know, if we think about management as being, you know, what are the people centric skills of management? Um, you know, so, so team building motivation, uh, you know, conflict resolution, um, you know, which is part and parcel of what a manager does. Uh, you know, the machines are not going to be able to do that. So I think, the, and once again, they're sort of slightly more empathetic uh, style skills. So I think that's important. Um, I think, you know, anything revolving around strategy. Uh, so with the AI, it's great with the data, you know, give you some insights and, you know, it will give you, you know, some, some strategic views and so forth. But I think, uh, you know, company direction and you know, how to work with a particular product development and so forth. I feel like that is very much going to still be there. Um, I think, you know, ethics and regulation, uh, you know, that's that's going, it's an area that AI is going to struggle with, I think. So, um, and then, you know, I think, you know, the final thing would be getting back to that original comment of this human AI collaboration, which is, how do you effectively have a hybrid role? So, so you're a manager that manages the AI, which will be providing you the data and so forth, and the prioritization, maybe the scheduling, and so forth. But um, 
but you know you're you're working together with the AI. So I think there's, I, I you know manage middle management has always been you know a challenging position for people to find themselves in, and as we know, you know often when there's downsizing, um, you know everyone likes to target middle management, but uh, I think what we see is that is that well-designed and well-structured businesses have you know a, a number of employees or group team members then they have team leaders who report up into other team leaders and i think you can only collapse that so far where you've got an enterprise at scale yeah, that makes sense and i and i think also too if you think about it the um a lot of good businesses successful businesses or business ideas if you look at the stats, um, would say don't go forward. But somebody's gut feeling said, <laughs> "Yeah, I'm going with this. I'm passionate about it. I don't care what they say." And it was successful. So it, yeah. it's kind of that human. It's kind of like um, I, when I used to do executive search, they companies would do the um, the tests the um, on the on the candidates. And the, the candidates, the tests would come out and say, this person can't sell, you know, they're, they're low on selling or whatever, but they would be the top salesperson right. in their company or the, and I used to say, use those things as tools yeah. to then probe more. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like to probe more on whether if there is something in that um, psych test then use it to probe more in with your references or do do more homework on it. But don't use that as a final tool for your yeah. decision making, because you do need that human interaction to, to, to help as well. And someone who interviews really well could also not be the right person, but someone's gut feeling tells them there's something wrong. Yeah, I, th I think it's fantastic. I also think there's a real role for curiosity. I think, you know, if I look at successful folks, around the place there is they're, they're sort of driven often by uh, quite an intense curiosity and um you know as you mentioned earlier that idea of the stats don't support us going in a particular direction but someone has a gut feel or an intuition about something and i you know i, I remember i was i was hosting a lunch for a um for a number of founders of successful technology companies and I asked the question uh, to the group, and these folks were all, you know, very, very wealthy as a result of the businesses that they created. And I asked the question, knowing what you know now about the journey, the difficulties of the journey uh, that that you had to go on as a founder, how many of you, you know, would do it again, sort of thing? And about seventy percent kept their hands down and said not sure I would do it again, um, which, you know, is easy to say when you, you know, you've got a nice yacht and, um, and everything's good. <laughs> but but it, it is, you know, those people who move us ahead particularly are often those people who challenge the accepted norms and push through them and create something that we never expected that we would need, you know, whether it's the iPhone or the iPad or, you know, they're at the sort of bigger end of town. And I think that, you know, AI is not necessarily uh, going going to have that because the data will push it in a particular direction. Yeah, it's all very historical based at the moment. It's drawing on, on the past. And I know often when I'm playing with various AI bots, it says, I'm sorry, I don't have the information for that right now. Or I don't have the answer for that right now. 
so that, you know, to your point, there's still this very big human role around around strategy and around being forward-looking and to some extent around innovation because some of the innovation will be AI-enabled but other innovation needs to come from from the human dream, really. And a lot of innovation, you know, I work a lot with with innovation uh, with large organisations, you know, and, and frankly, you get a lot of uh, reward or return on investment from what is not tech-enabled innovation, but it's organisational change. It's um, it's working with processes and the way that people interact with and you know make decisions and so forth. So, I think that uh, you know we we often like to to think of innovation as being you know, something that's sort of largely tech-enabled, but but you know in organisational design there's there's a lot of low-hanging fruit. So I think you know there's great Without a doubt, we've had a couple of great conversations recently with entrepreneurs and their success was driven by exemplary customer service. There was no tech. It was was about being human to human focused. Yeah. Yeah, which I think is, you know, if we think about, um, you know, is there an opportunity in the future for those companies that differentiate by providing human to human because you know it may be that uh that we get that we tire of the chatbot um in certain situations and you know as we talked about with those sort of you know higher end you know you might be prepared to pay more for a premium service if you know that you're going to get a human so i think there's you know there's that opportunity i think you know, there's going to be, uh, you know, human touches is always going to be important in anything, I think, related to healthcare and counselling, um, you know, and mental health. And so, you know, they're going to be big areas in the future. And, you know, I do fundamentally believe that as humans, we do have an innate desire for human to human contact. And I think we saw that through COVID, uh, which was a struggle for many people. And so, you know, we can't just assume that this can all be replaced by uh, by bots. I do think there are there are great opportunities there. Obviously, there's going to be generational differences. Do I? Th- you know, there's some incredible stats around about. Um, it was a survey that was done, which asked uh, the question uh, of a whole variety of age groups: Do you feel more yourself online or offline? Which, you know, for a Gen X like myself, that's a pretty easy answer. Like, well, of course, I feel more myself offline. I mean, that's that's the real me. Um, but 45% of those aged between 10 and 40 said they felt more themselves online than offline. Uh, and 40% of those had made their best friends online. Um, mm-hmm. so, so that is a different world that we're headed into. So I fully appreciate there will be a generational shift um, but you know, there's still there's still a you know a good element of the market that uh, that exists sort of in that post forty age group, so that that can still be serviced. And then I do think that uh, uh, you know there's a there's a core uh, desire for most people to have some level of human engagement. Yeah, and I think that's a pendulum swing too. I think we've seen the younger the younger people be more dominated by online, but as as they grow and mature and learn to value human interaction and in the real world, in the 3D world, um, and feel more comfortable because I think part of it is 
we've lost the art of human engagement because we can hide behind a keyboard and we can feel like we're being more ourselves, but we're not really being ourselves, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it's a controversial, it's a controversial subject, but um, I think it'll be a pendulum, pendulum swing. We're all humans, as you know, we, we value human connectivity, we value community and and you know, we're seeing that happen in other in other industries. People outsourced things to overseas to have cost yeah. efficiencies and right. and we're seeing, you know, organizations, telcos and, and other industries that are now saying, um, actually, or customers saying, actually, I want to deal with somebody in Australia who understands me, where I get the service, and I don't want to be dealing with a chatbot that then sends yeah. me to somebody who doesn't know what I'm talking about and I waste five hours of my day. Yeah, so, yeah. That cultural, you know, that cultural nuance is is fascinating, isn't it? That we, you know, we there's a definitely, you know, the customer base have have shown, particularly to the telcos and I guess the banks that. There is a, a distinct preference for people, you know, located within our own culture who understand, you know, the, the specific issues that we, we've got. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, that's a great example of how uh, there's still plenty of opportunities. So what are the risks and, and for I, us? And I think it's something where we can, like, really look at it as this is an opportunity for those that really sort of want to go outside the square because they can embrace the technology but then if they enhance their soft skills and become more human, you know, as far as if I was starting a new company today, the focus would be on um, one, the technology to make it more, the company more efficient, but also the customer service, because the customer service aspect in so many businesses has gone downhill and um, being able to actually get a response through either one technology, but then a human person behind it. Because when you, it, even if you go onto your online banking, it's really good. I was using mine the other day and I was asking questions through the chat. Then it said, do you want to speak to someone? Right. And I said, yes. And I got a, a banker on right away. So yeah. it was kind of like, now this is what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> this is what I, I, was able to the, <laughs> I was able to do the little stuff. But when I can't couldn't get to a certain stage, I was able to talk to someone, but and I didn't have to wait in line for for hours at a time. And that's kind of what setting the expectation that we're going to make your life easier, but we're also here for you, and we want you to feel part of our business, or we want you to feel like a customer to us. Yeah. And there's certain certain things, and I think if companies just look at it, how they can embrace. Because it's not going anywhere, is it? It's not going. <laughs> well, it's certainly not going away. It's um, not going. It, uh, well, that's what I mean. It's not going away. It's not yeah, going yeah, away. Yeah. Oh, I think. I think you're right. I mean, I, yeah. I think we, we, you know, how do we use it to, you know, to take the drudgery out of life? And I, you know, I do think of you look at Excel. Um, so you know that the spreadsheeting program. So Excel does, you know, extraordinary calculations and so forth. But that didn't cause accountants to go out of business. It basically just allowed them to level up their skill set so they can provide better insights. And you can now get, you know, you can drill into a set of numbers um, and, and, you know, slice and dice it a whole number of different ways, which previously would have taken weeks to, to recut those numbers. And you couldn't be certain on them. So so that is, you know, a great example of a tool and, and where this could ultimately end. So this was a surprise to me, uh, even as a technology lover. So uh, there was the 
World Spreadsheeting Championships on a couple of months ago, uh, which is uh, you know the the best financial modelers from around the world gather together and uh, compete against each other to solve these problems, and that was broadcast live on ESPN oh as my an goodness. esport. So uh, you know. <laughs> It may not be to all of our tastes. I'm not sure. I mean, if you, it is worth going on YouTube and having a look at some of the stuff because the, the pivot table work, uh, Judith and Christina, is just amazing. Uh, the use of the sum all <laughs> function. But um, it, it just goes to show that, you know, where this stuff can end is is really quite remarkable. And whilst it not be may not be within our own sphere of interest uh you know it, it can be used by others in great ways we've recently had some of the inventors of some of the ai capabilities speak up and say hey we've created a monster what are the risks and what are the things that you can see from your kind of legal tech perspective that need to be addressed so that the monster doesn't run away and cause havoc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I guess first and foremost for everyone um, and hopefully all of the folks uh, watching this are aware of this, but using anything like ChatGPT, it's not confidential. So you shouldn't be putting any confidential information into that or privacy and so forth. So just, you know, that's a basic hygiene issue. And um, if we pull back to the to, to the biggest issue, if you like, which is the existential crisis that the machines may in fact overrun us, which, you know, is, is sort of the, the storyline that I think captures most people's attention. Yep. And how do we ensure that AI is a force for good? So I, I do think we, we have some templates for that. Uh, obviously what we've done uh, with nuclear arms, Sort of globally, I mean, I put it on that scale. Um, you know, the, the chemical weapons, um, also, uh, you know, use of genomics and so forth, and uh, biological engineering at the genetic level. There are conventions and global understanding. I think we we actually have to head towards that with AI because there's no doubt its capability is remarkable. So if you look at it, when it first came out, when ChatGPT came out in November last year now, um, it was, uh, it, it, it sat what's called the universal bar exam, which is basically a bar exam for, for lawyers in the US and 40 states. It sat it and it got in the lowest 10%, so a dismal fail. And then when version four came out just a few months later, um, it got in the top 90, 90th percent. Uh, so it was a you know a star. So within four months, it had learnt uh, how to pass the bar exam with flying wow. colours. So so it can learn, and what it's doing now is it's actually programming itself and so forth. So the ability for it to get out of control is not impossible, and we do need some guardrails. And I mean, every country, well, certainly uh, you know Western democracies and so forth, are looking at ways to regulate. AI, and we'll see that in the next little while. So the EU already has some very significant draft regulations. I think we're going to see that come, you know, become a reality in the next year or two years. I think it's it's a front burner issue for most governments. Uh, it's very complicated to get mm. that right, and we don't know exactly 
sort of how to do it yet, but we will get regulation. And, and then I think so we'll have national based regulation and then we'll step up from that and we will have some form of um, international agreement on how to how to manage that. That international agreement is going to be very difficult because everyone is racing to be uh, the lead in AI because they recognize that that, you know, to be globally dominant in AI is to is to lead, you know, this century. Mm. It's quite complex from an end because you there are no borders, right? AI has no borders. Mm. The borders are created by us. So mm. complex yeah, I, politically and technologically. Yeah. I mean, I think unless unless countries can, you know, realize that we you know we actually need to work together on this, like we did with nuclear armament, um, then then we're okay. But you know, there's there's obviously a lot of self-interest. So uh, you know, unless unless people are brought to that, um, we may not see that happen. Yeah, and it's moving so quickly; it moves faster than we can organise a meeting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, and that's the that's the challenge. Um, we're coming towards the end of our conversation. So just before we wind up, um, love to just wrap it up by by saying what are our what are our key takeouts in terms of what is going to be the impact of AI on the on the future of careers? So if you're going to summarize your your thinking around that, Nick, what would you yeah. say? What's going to be the impact on the future of careers? Yeah. So I think I think what we need to re recognize, or my view anyway, is that if we look at, you know, where businesses or organisations are going to be in 20 years or so, I think, you know, there's going to be a huge focus on sustainability. I think that's a that's a massive area. So I, I think that people should absolutely be thinking about that. It's, you know, it's an, that's another existential crisis for the world. So I think that's going to be big. I think that, you know, everyone is going to be focused on continuous learning and, you know, I talked before about the curiosity. I really do encourage people to just be curious. I think that is a great skill to have and to follow that up. I think we've got to accept that organisations are going to have AI integrated into uh, the business. It will be an integral part of company operations. And so making sure that we are open to and staying um, competent with the tools that are relevant for our industries, uh, I think is very important. And then, you know, what I would say is around focusing on those things that do make us human and as distinct from the machines. And that is particularly around empathy, around the ability to build and lead teams, you know, leadership is always important and it doesn't matter at what level you are in an organization. We know that uh, leadership qualities always shine through. So that ability to lead teams, to do great conflict resolution and uh, get people motivated and interested in heading forward. So I think they're, you know, they're the sorts of things to focus on. And, and also I do think that, you know, we talked about AI collaboration, but also Collaboration between organisations. I think we we've seen a good amount of that. I think we will see uh, that really increase into the future as well. Mm. Judith, yeah, I would say that 
you know, at the end of the day, you need to embrace the technology and learn the technology. And it might be hard at first, but practice makes perfect at the end of the day. <laughs> but also, um, I, I agree with Nick, you've got to make sure that um, you're also focusing on your soft skills and your leadership skills. Because if you have the, the tech, technical skills, that's great. But you need to have those leadership and soft skills to, to bring you um, into that top 10% of people, as far as if you want to be a leader or a manager or um, top of what you do, you can't just do it by having great technical skills. You've got to also have the soft skills and that will make you shine. That will put you over and above everybody else. <laughs> mm, yeah, I agree. agree completely with both of you. And I think the thing that I've learned in, in using AI in my own business and my own world is that I still need domain experience and I wouldn't come off looking as well as I've come off if I didn't have domain experience. So you will get caught out if you if you don't have domain experience and then you try just to copy and paste something that you've generated out of a out of an AI bot. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think it's, you know, it gets back to that, you know, will it be the calculator for you or will it be the autopilot? Mm. Yes, exactly yeah. right. Mm. And would you get in a plane without a without a pilot? <laughs> no. Not right now. No. I, I just want Sully flying all the time. All the time. All the time. And even one pilot's not enough. You know how they're trying to it's, say one pilot. Exactly. I yeah. want two. <laughs> well, on that note, thank you so much, Nick. It was um, a great conversation, an important conversation. And I'm sure um, in the future we'll be having more conversations because this is becoming pervasive in um, in industry and, and in our careers. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Oh, thanks very much, Christina. Thanks, Judith. I really enjoyed it. And uh, best wishes for everyone uh, watching. And, uh, yeah, I, I think we, we shouldn't fear it. We need to embrace it. And, uh, yeah, I'm eternally optimistic. So thank you <laughs> very much. Thanks, Nick. For more information about Every Step and our guests, head to everysteppodcast.com. To be notified of new podcasts, please subscribe via your favourite listening platform. And of course, follow us on social media and direct message us to share your ideas about guests or topics.